1: As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. Carrie,
2: can I say one last thing very quickly? We're going to start with a quick story that actually comes from the end of a conversation. Yeah, go right ahead. Absolutely. And I'm going to leave very quickly. I told you this story, here, This true story. It's Luther Keith's story. And he's got a lot of titles, but for now, just know he's a longtime Detroit resident.
3: 1992, I'm on a church tour in Africa, in Ghana. We're getting ready to go to the Elmina slave castles. I'm sitting there by myself. I'm having an adult beverage, just kicking back and chilling, looking at the beautiful Atlantic Ocean. And a gentleman in traditional Ghanaian. The tire comes up to me and he says in a heavy accent, says, brother, where are you from? I said, Detroit, Michigan, in the United States. He said, east side or west side? <laughs> 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 and Classic. it turns out he was a doctor and he got his degree at Wayne State uh, University. <laughs> and he knew that Detroiters always asked that and just... Blow my mind, but it's a true story. <laughs> that
0: was a that was great. <laughs>
2: I spoke with Luther and three other long-time residents because, well, it's been a year since we started this podcast, and we wanted to do something a little special, a little meta, if you will. When we launched last summer, we said our aim was to pass the mic to Detroiters and hear their stories as the prominent narrative of the city. This summer, we enlisted the help of four Detroit experts to better understand who gets to shape the narrative of the city.
4: My name is Marsha Music, and I am a writer and presenter, and uh, I also refer to myself as the Detroitist. Good
0: morning, uh, Angie Reyes. I am the executive director and the founder of a nonprofit in Southwest Detroit, Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation.
5: My name is Jeanette Pierce. I am the founder and president of the City Institute, formerly Detroit Experience Factory,
2: uh, which is all about educating people, especially locals, uh, about Detroit. On this episode, we talk about who we ought to pass the mic to and why. Well, you would pick
3: the oldest guy for the last, so <laughs> I'm not gonna, but I'm older than everybody here <laughs> I worked at the Detroit News for 30 years, more than 30 years, of uh, doing all kinds of jobs.
2: I'm Carrie Jr. II, and this is On The Line. So, thank you all for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. Now, this conversation lasted an hour, and it could have been even longer, because that's not enough time to cover all the nuances of this topic. This was just meant to get the discussion going on the line episodes are typically around 20 minutes long. So this conversation was edited down from its original length. Whoever wants to jump in first, what is your definition of a Detroiter?
3: Well, you know what, I'm gonna dive into it first. I'll, I'll, I'll walk the plank first, if you will.
2: Now these days, Luther here spearheads Arise Detroit, a nonprofit coalition of over 400 groups promoting volunteerism in the city. So he's definitely an expert on Detroit.
3: Uh. I think that that there is no one definition um, because there's so many cross currents and there's a lot of nuance to this. We have been slined and maligned uh, so many times by so many people, so many ways, and we're very protective of our city in that respect. That uh, if the tigers or the lions, if they ever did want to. National Football League championship or the Tigers win or the Red Wings win. We're Detroiters, we're Detroiters, we're Detroiters, we're Detroiters. But if some nefarious thing happens or like our mayor gets in trouble or some other things or uh, a shocking crime of some type, then we are not Detroiters. And I think it, it goes to where your heart is. And I think that you can be a Detroiter and embrace the good As well still recognizing our warts and the work on those to improve our city. No one knows where Gross Point is or Birmingham is if you're out in Montana and you say, where are you from? Well, you say I'm from Detroit. They know that. Sometimes I think it's a state of mind because there are a lot of people who love Detroit who don't live in the city limits. But uh, actually speaking, Detroiters are people who live in Detroit. (laughs) Okay, that's that. That's (laughs) the
2: definition, you know, but there are a lot of nuances to it. I saw you make a couple of faces, Jeanette. I was going to call on you,
5: sure. I mean it's it's complicated, right?
2: That's the expert from the city Institute, Jeanette Pierce,
5: and I think it depends on um I mean, again, there is the the definitive if you live in Detroit, but I do think it's more than that. I think on one side, I definitely you know feel like Detroit is a state of mind sometimes, right? like um, if, if you're about um, helping your community, knowing your neighbors, understanding uh, the challenges as well as the assets, and I do know people like, again, is someone in Highland Park a Detroiter? I, I would say yes, right? Um, or if someone lived their whole life here and then just moved across the street into Southfield. Does that make them not a Detroiter anymore? Uh, again, so I think there's this larger Detroiter maybe uh, concept um, that that does go beyond boundaries a little bit. I think at the same time, if we're really gonna get to it, the resident and more importantly, can you vote in Detroit, right? Are you voting and paying taxes here, uh, because there's also people that don't that li- do live in Detroit, but their IDs don't say that right necessarily, maybe there's gradations, if you will, that you know but I do think it encompasses a lot more than than just the residency
0: yeah I, I agree that it's it's a complicated question, right and answer because um and I think it's the nuances also have to do with the gentrification that's happening, right?
2: Angie Reyes of the Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation.
0: So we have a lot of people who just show up. They've been here for maybe a year, two years, and and either don't have the understanding of the history and the culture that they're moving into or don't have or don't care to and don't respect it. So I think some of it is also about lived experience, right? What has been your lived experience? Um, especially if you lived in Detroit for a particular amount of time, like how long do you have to live in Detroit before you're considered a Detroiter is kind of gets gets debated a lot of times too, right? You've only been here five years. After 50 years, are you a Detroiter? But again, I think a lot of it, it goes back to lived experience in um, having survived, lived through a lot of the ups and downs of the city and still sticking with the city You're Detroit. You can tell people that are Detroiters, right? What was that Supreme Court saying? You you know pornography when you see it. It's (laughs) kind of it's kind of like that. You know a Detroiter when you see them and when you hear them because it's kind of embedded in your soul. Um, For Latinos, a lot of times, um, Latinos from Detroit who kind of born, raised, or grew up here talk very differently. Have very Dress differently, different expressions, listen, listen to different music than, say, um, Latinos in California or Florida. It's a Detroit culture that people are kind of imbued with.
2: So one thing I did want to ask, in following up to the sentiment, and Jeanette, you kind of spoke to it, but like, and Marsha, I'm going to direct this one to you because I want to hear from you now a little bit. Is do you think is that a sentiment that you've heard often? The fact that people. Who aren't from the city can often come in and try to claim Detroit as, as an authentic thing?
4: Yes, uh, of course.
2: Marsha Music or the Detroitist?
4: Many people who come to Detroit, new, pe- new residents, not visitors, residents, do in fact want to claim Detroit. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why they moved here, so they could be Detroiters. I think uh, the issues. Uh, come up when one tries to, to change the dynamic of the areas in which people live uh, to make them more amenable to newcomers in some ways, perhaps. The changing of street names and communities uh, in order to fit certain either developmental or cultural mores. Uh, some of these things uh, can wrinkle you you know, the continual attempt to refer to the boulevard as grand is a a particular pet peeve of mine. It is not grand.
2: What do you mean? Can you explain it?
4: The street, uh, East or West Grand Boulevard. And I often hear newcomers refer to it as grand.
2: Just grand?
4: Uh, Just grand. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's a sort of a false familiarity hmm. uh, that they're trying to uh, claim as a, a, a kind of a, a offhand oh yeah I'm gonna go on grand uh well excuse me I've never
5: heard I've never heard that expression <laughs> I, That's hear it,
4: I hear it all the time really yes uh-huh and so I often have to respond uh there is a grand street it is in Highland Park it starts in Highland Park and uh, the name of this street, is East Grand Boulevard or West Grand Boulevard or colloquially referred to as the Boulevard. And uh, so there are things like that that can uh, be uh, unsettling uh, in the kind of uh, very, sometimes very aggressive ways that people attempt to change uh, the nomenclature of aspects of the city.
2: So, the panel loosely defined a Detroiter and discussed the complicated and sometimes offensive ways the cities claimed. After the break, they discuss why it matters who is and who isn't a Detroiter.
1: As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day, standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com, to learn more now.
2: And we are back with Angie Reyes of the Detroit Hispanic Development Corporation, writer Marcia Music. Luther Keith of Arise Detroit and Jeanette Pierce of the City Institute. We're talking about how to identify a Detroiter. And although I had my own questions to ask them next, Luther, being a former news editor and all, beat me to it.
3: Well, if I could carry, if you don't mind, uh, I'm putting my old reporter hat on, if you don't mind. Not to get too deep, but psychically, subliminally, why is who, who is a Detroiter so important to Detroiters? Why? And I I don't have the real answer, but I imagine everybody has some thoughts on that. But when you peel it back, why is that so important?
0: You know, know, I think that some of that lies in questions of equity, injustice, Mm -hmm. right? Because, and again, you know, those people who have spent most of their lives in Detroit have been through a lot. Ups and downs, no services, good services. Whatever, you know, right. And then when the city starts turning around, then all of a sudden new people want to be because I remember a time when nobody would claim, especially from the outside, they did not want to claim Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, because oh, if you're from Detroit, is it true everybody's running around the streets shooting yeah, each other yeah, all the yeah. time? 40,0 you know, or
5: something. Didn't get, right.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you know, but now it's like cool to be, you know, what we just got named one of the top yeah. 10 cities. Well, you got to put visit,
3: Detroit right. on a T-shirt. Just put Detroit on a T-shirt. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, you don't have the street cred and you're trying to be cool with the rest of the people that have been through it all. And now that things are looking good, you want to claim it. And it is an equity issue because, you know, there was this huge disinvestment in the city of Detroit. That that people that lived in the city suffered through, and now all of a sudden it's cool to be here. So now you're going to come and take what we got.
3: I completely agree, Angie. And we did a we did a uh, documentary on the rise of Troy a few years ago, and I was uh, went to my little local cleaners over on Seven Mile in Livernois. Some of you may know that, but and a black realtor was in there, and I, I was I asked him how's the housing market here? And he said, man, it's doing great. And he said, white, wh- white people are moving back to the city, man. White people come to And I said, why do you think that is? And you know what he said to me? Because they aren't afraid of Black people anymore. They aren't afraid of Black people anymore. And they realize there's value in housing in Detroit. But that was a profound statement to me. White people are no longer afraid of Black people in Detroit.
5: And there's um, a lot, a lot of, I, with Angie and Luther that I totally, you know, agree with. I think race is absolutely a, par- a huge part of it, right? I mean, that's, we are one of the most segregated regions with a city that's 90% people of color in the suburbs, Almost the opposite. I mean, maybe less now. Uh, ironically, we lost, you know, two hundred fifty thousand people between 2000 and 2010, mostly middle class Black Detroiters, and they, most of them, went to the suburbs, which actually helped integrate some of the suburbs uh, in the region. But boy, all the times when people would say would never, you know, and when we're talking people, we are talking for the vast majority again, white suburbanites wouldn't not cross Detroit. I was playing on a softball team in East Detroit when they changed the name from East Detroit to East Point, right? That level of separation and not using the name Detroit, everything you could possibly do to not use and be connected with Detroit. So I think if that doesn't happen, this this part doesn't happen, right?
4: Well, I would like to say in response to uh, Luther's question, About why is it that we can be very pricklish about some of these things? For me, it's really it's essentially a matter of erasure. We have a profound understanding in Detroit. Even many of the whites who are born and bred Detroiters have a real understanding that there has been a tendency to erase the existence, the very existence of Black Detroiters in many aspects of life and and as if the culture that we have here is meaningless. And uh, for example, I'm writing a piece now for a journal, a, a university journal on the architecture in Detroit and the relationship of this extraordinary majesty of Detroit's architecture and how it is simply not known or accepted that some of these most significant, gorgeous communities of Detroit are Black communities, Black Detroit communities. And this is an example of the way that the the vile, pernicious erasure of our uh, existence in areas, of our um, uh, living here in Detroit has been Altered, uh, the sense of the narrative has been altered. So now, you know, even newer whites that live here want to change these narratives because it reflects so badly upon their own place of living for many of them. Uh, but I think that this question of uh, invisible Detroiters is very real, uh, invisibilizing us, uh, relegating us to only the dysfunction or uh, derelicted areas of the city in, a, in, a, in the mental narrative. Uh, I think it's very important stuff.
0: So I, I really resonate with that, with the Latino population in Detroit. So I remember uh, in the nineties, there was this media frenzy around gangs in Southwest Detroit. And I remember it hitting the media and people saying, we didn't even know Latinos lived in Detroit. And the first time you hear about them, they're all in gangs, right? The reality is the Mexican and Puerto Rican populations have been in Detroit since the late 1800s. And then we have had a significant population and the areas that was first our community and where I was born was here in Corktown um, where our our organization is because we kind of, we moved here before it got um, all this development happening but now you go into the restaurants and many of the businesses in this area and you will find none or very few people of color. And people don't even remember that Latinos used to live here in uh, Corktown. It was the first place that we moved to and we got pushed um, because there was the urban removal in this neighborhood as well too, around the same time as Black Bottom happened. Um, So the freeway went through, the city decided they want light industry. They took the houses, including my grandparents' house where I was born um, and move people out of the neighborhood and pushed everybody further west. But for a large part, a lot of people consider Latinos in Detroit as newcomers. And when in reality, we've been here for over 100 years, that many of us came at the same time that the African-American community came from down south, the Mexican population and Puerto Ricans came. So that, that's been uh, I've had people tell me uh, this is my city. It's not yours. So it, it it's kind of a it's a sore point for folks like me who've been here for a very long time too, and multiple generations that we're still not considered to be Detroiters. Uh,
3: in terms of media, who bears the most responsibility for shaping this narrative? Uh, is it the media, or is it uh, our cultural institutions? Is our educational institutions? I venture to say this podcast is here because the media is very concerned about, or at least interested in this narrative being shaped this whole issue of diversity and why do we need diversity in the media so we can have some other stories and other perspectives who people could know everybody can't all the editors can't be living in gross point in planning news coverage in detroit narratives people talk about narratives narrative narratives. who is shaping the narrative and if the narrative is false or misguided how do we correct that? Is it possible to correct it?
2: Anyway, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't even think I need to be here because, I mean, we're going to build up to, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the, the whole, the momentum here, but I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up. Marsha, you brought up erasure earlier, and so that kind of already went to my, one of my questions of like, what happens when someone who may not be a resident of the city comes through and, and is given that you, you can have that instance of erasure? But what what does that do for a community? What does that what is that impact like on on the residents of a city?
4: Well, when you have uh, uh, media that uh, devalues and ignores aspects of the city, you know when people from out of town come to 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 this area. And they want to see the things that they read about, and they don't know anything about these uh, long black stores over here. They only know the newcomer stores, uh, you know. So these things are real. You know, they affect people real in the pocketbook too. Uh, I would like to say though that uh, uh, we talk about the use of the media, and we understand the media's role in this uh, really half a century long degradation of Detroit that the media has uh, participated in, uh, as it uh, began to uh, collaborate with developers in the uh, building up of the suburban areas uh, and driving people out of Detroit, uh, because that is my take on what is called white flight. And uh, I think that social media is one of the most significant dynamics to have emerged because social media can counter and does counter these type of official narratives because people are all the time posting the reality of their lives on social media and of their beautiful homes and of their neighborhoods. Uh, And it can't be denied, you cannot make us invisible anymore. Um, I think it's very important for long time Blacks in Detroit, longtime residents, to claim authority and expertise in the narratives in these areas in which they live.
5: I mean, it's you know the ugly duckling or whatever kind analogy you want to use, and then as soon as someone gets their braces off, now they're really pretty, and everybody wants to take them to prom. Right? Um, There is that. Where were you when it wasn't the superficial side of things um, that I think makes this conversation unique? Um, like that that swing, I think, is what makes it so tension filled, as well as obviously the the segregation and and race and racism that created the disinvestment uh, and a lot of the challenges. So I think that's part of it. We, and that's something we focus on educating both, you know, longtime recruiters, but also, if, OK, if you want to be here, this is the stuff you need to know. Uh, our, you know, I think a mutual friend of everybody, Aaron Foley, wrote that book about how to live in Detroit without being a jackass. Um, that's kind of how we educate, like how would I see, you know, do you know about Black Bottom? You know, do you know about these? How did we get to these empty houses? How did we get to this? Look, you know, normally the narrative starts with. New York chef moves to Detroit, buys this ab- abandoned building for so cheap, and that's where it starts. But why was abandoned in the first place, right? Like breaking down those myths um, that, that permeate our region, and especially in the suburbs uh, and in the white community there.
2: Um, well, that's. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up. I think what y'all said is fantastic. I mean, there were so many points I I could highlight over this last hour. Or so It didn't feel like an hour at all. Like it flew by. There's more I want to talk. Well, to you know about.
4: Well, you should have known. You should have
5: known. <laughs> well, we definitely got storytellers right here. Some great storytellers, and I think that's an important part of it. So
2: this was great. You all have a great day. Thank you so thank much. You. Well,
3: thank you. For thank making you. Me part of it, I appreciate it.
2: Before we go. I want to tell you about an initiative that's been underway at the Free Press, Detroit Is. Detroit Is is a project to highlight Detroit neighborhood stories and all the good that goes on here. It's written by Detroiters for Detroiters. Stories about grassroots efforts in the city to make Michigan number one for women in tech, local businesses, a local judge with a legendary wardrobe, we've got all that. Check it out at Freep.com. Also, if you want to see the full conversation from this episode, the full hour, we'll be placing it on our Free Press YouTube page. Keep an eye out. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran. Anjanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends. Uh, Subscribe to us on wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating uh, and leave a comment and we'll see you next week.